This episode is supported by True Leaf Market, sellers of heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. The end of the gardening season is here and it's the ideal time to rehabilitate your garden soil by growing a cover crop. They're great value. Buying enough cover crop seeds for most backyard gardens costs under $25, including shipping. And True Leaf Market offers a great selection of cover crop seeds, including their all-purpose garden cover crop mix, which is their most popular for home gardeners. To get a free PDF of True Leaf Market's Beginner's Guide to Growing Cover Crops, visit trueleafmarket.com and search Cover Crop Guide. Order your cover crops now at trueleafmarket.com enter promo code OTL15 to save 15% on your cover crop seeds that's trueleafmarket.com enter OTL15 for 15% off some restrictions apply see the show notes for full details Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at hello and welcome to on the ledge podcast episode two three five and we're looking at mangaves I'm joined by Dr. Colin Walker, succulent expert, to talk about these fascinating intergeneric hybrids that are hitting garden centres and nurseries near you. Plus, I answer a question about spots on an areca palm. A rather delightful review from FR326 called me the OG of plant podcast the other day i'm not sure if that stands for original gangster or original granny (laughs) perhaps more accurately but thank you for your review and thanks to those who've become patrons this week christine became a crazy plant person true anja turquoise michael and lou all became legends find out more about becoming a patron of the show and getting ad free editions of the main podcast plus two bonus episodes a month at my show notes at janeperone.com and a couple of heads up if you are in the london and home counties area i'm at the british library in london on november the 7th the evening thereof joining in with a panel discussion about houseplants history culture all of those fascinating aspects we'll be discussing chaired by friend of the show james wong along with carlos magdalena of q gardens and conservationist and fellow houseplant expert mike maunder you can watch on a live stream or get an in-person ticket So do check out the show notes for a link to that to find out more. And I'm holding a plant swap with another guest of the show, 
Sarah Gerard-Jones, the plant rescuer. That's happening at a coffee shop in St Albans in Hertfordshire on Saturday the 17th of September. So only a week or so away, 10.30am to 1pm. And it's going to be a swap and a sale with money going to good causes. Sarah and I are going to be selling off some plants and propagations from our own collections. I'll put a link to a blog post that I haven't yet written, but I will write soon uh, with more info on that. Now on with the meat of the show, which is my interview with Dr. Colin Walker discussing a plant that's becoming very popular with succulent collectors. Hi, so I'm Colin Walker. I'm past president of the BCSS and I've been growing, studying, uh, writing about succulents for over 50 years. And agaves are one of my particular interests and mangarves are kind of a, a modern offshoot of that. Delighted to have you on the show, Colin. And this is an interesting one. Mangarves, I think this name might be new to some listeners, but familiar to others. What exactly is a mangave? Just to rewind a bit. So agaves, just to refresh, are century plants. They come from America, the Americas, and are renowned uh, for taking a long time to flower. So a common name is century plants, because back in the 15th, 16th century, when these plants first came into cultivation, they took a long time to flower. Uh, and indeed, some of them maybe even took 100 years, although that's not with very good cultivation. Most will flower much quicker than that. So they are uh, plants that take a while to come to flower. There are two main groups of agaves. So the, the standard true agaves produce these very large flower spikes. The, some of them are like telegraph poles, and those are the true agaves. But there's a small group of about 40 species which have the name Manfreda, not to be confused with Mangave, Manfreda. Uh, some people consider this a distinct genus, Manfreda. Others, like myself, consider it to be a subgenus of Agave. But they are quite different to the true Agave. So true Agaves have these tall flower spikes, as I say. But the other characteristic feature is they have really tough leaves. They're absolutely full of fibres. And a lot of them have sharp, jaggy teeth and spines, whereas Manfredas tend to have very soft leaves, tiny teeth and no spines. And some of them even are deciduous. They die down in the winter. So there's two completely different groups of plants here. Mangarvi are, are hybrids between the two groups. So the name Mangarvi has come from Manfreda. So the man of Manfreda and the garvey from agave. So mangarvey are crosses between manfreders and agaves, and those are called bigeneric hybrids. The first one uh, came quite by accident from seed brought in from Mexico that was thought to be a manfreda. So some collector brought some seed pods back from a population of a manfreda, and when these seeds were raised, a couple of the seedlings behaved very differently to the rest. They were quite fast growing, looked rather differently. And when these were investigated, it was decided that these were 
an intergeneric cross, so they weren't just Manfredas, they'd been crossed with a true agave. And in 2010, uh, the, the, the genus was formally named Mangarvi, as I say, because it's crossed between Manfreda and Agave. And the world has taken off since then. The Japanese followed on quite quickly and they artificially produced a cross between Agave macroacantha, which is a gorgeous blue-grey agave with dark purple-black spines and teeth and they crossed it with a manfreda so true agaves have as i say tough leaves and a lot of manfredas have spotted leaves and this first artificial cross produced in cultivation is intermediate between its two parents it doesn't have really tough leaves but they are quite strong but they are spotted so you've got a blue green agave with spotted leaves, tiny little teeth, and that was called blood spot. So it's got sort of pale bluish, purplish spots, which is very unusual for an agave. And that was the first one, really, that was uh, brought into cultivation and marketed. And as I say, since then, these plants, these are mangarvis, have taken off. And there's now quite a wide range of them uh, in cultivation. So These plants have only been around for a decade, decade and a half, really, and they are becoming very popular. I wanted to ask you about the relative merits of mangaves versus manfredas slash agaves. Do they have advantages and disadvantages over the separate genera? Yeah, they do indeed, Jane. So I I tried to say in my introduction that... um, the true agaves can take a long time to come to flower. So I've been growing agaves for, what, 30-odd years now, I suppose, and I've only flowered, what, about eight over that period because some do take a long time. So one of the one of the really gorgeous agaves is Agave Victoria Regina. It is a very architectural plant. I've now flowered two plants um, and each time it's taken about 30 years. So it's a slow growing plant uh, and the flower spike is what, up to three, three and a half metres tall. But that plant dies after flowering. It's monocarpic, a single rosette flowers and dies. So quite a lot of agaves take a long time to get to flower, particularly under my growing conditions here in Britain. So I can't plant agaves outdoors where I live. So everything is pot grown and that does kind of slow down the growth rate. If you live somewhere gorgeous like California, you can plant your agaves outdoors and they will come to flowering size quite quick, relatively quickly. So a lot of agaves take a while to get to flowering size. Manfredas are tricky in cultivation. There are only about 40 species. They're quite small growing plants. Quite a lot of them uh, are not evergreen, so they die down in the winter. Uh, And sometimes they don't regrow in the spring. (laughs) So they can be a bit tricky. So agaves, true agaves, take a long time to grow and to flowering size. And manfredas are a bit tricky in cultivation. Mangarves... Uh, have features of both. 
so one of the key features about mangaves is that they're quite fast growing. So they're not as slow growing as agaves. And well, I've only flowered one of these and it came to flower after about eight years. So that's quite fast. And quite a lot of them pup as well. So although the flowering rosette dies, you've got pups to continue the plant. So the hybrid has the good features of both groups. Uh, So, yeah, there's a lot going for them. Absolutely. And that's why in the horticultural trade garden centres, they are now appearing in quite high numbers because they've been able to grow these plants in America quite fast. I mean, quite a few of these have been multiplied, propagated using tissue culture, but they do grow quite fast. So I guess the fast growth rate is one of the big advantages of mangarvi, and you can get them to flower relatively small and quite quickly. Well, that's good to know. I think there's plenty there for us to get our teeth into. Do they take up a little bit less, most of them a little bit smaller? I I know agaves really vary in size, but are are they generally possibly a little bit more suitable for uh, the windowsill and windowsill growers? I think windowsill growing is maybe a bit tricky. I mean, I would suggest you need a windowsill about, you know, a foot wide, which none of mine are, that's for sure. I, I mean, they're probably better on the floor or in a conservatory than on a windowsill. As I say, unless you've got wide windowsills. But yeah, in terms of size, they are generally significantly smaller than most agaves. So they're intermediate in size between manfredas and and agaves, but they're they're not big. They can get big if you let them grow big, some of them, because they will pack to form quite large clumps. But um, you know, the one that I flowered, blood spot, was what um, I would say about a foot across, 30 centimetres. So that's not huge, whereas some agaves can be up to 10 feet across. So they are modest size compared to, you know, the average agave. You mentioned blood spot there. There seems to be a lovely array of different cultivars on the market now. And I've certainly seen some of those at the shows Uh, And they seem to be, as you say, coming into garden centres and being more widely available, perhaps even more widely available than a lot of agaves are, actually. Are there any other cultivars apart from Bloodspot that you're particularly keen on? Well, the very first one that was really marketed on a big scale was Macho Mocha. So that's the one that was produced from this seed that was collected in the wild. Uh, That... Uh, grows quite fast and forms quite large clumps quite quickly. So in terms of growth rate, that is uh, that's that's a good one. It has very soft leaves, no teeth at all, doesn't die down. That I haven't flowered yet. Blood spot is is an absolute favourite. That is a really gorgeous looking plant. So it has chunky leaves and these distinctive spots. One that has relatively recently come into cultivation over here is called Silver Fox. It looks like a standard agave, but it has prominent teeth, although the leaves are not that rigid. It's got a really cool colour. It's been likened to stonewashed blue denim, so it's sort of pale blue with with teeth on, on the leaf edges. And once it gets larger it does have faint spots but as a younger plant it's virtually spotless so 
That's a very attractive one. Blazing Saddles has narrower, darker green leaves with quite prominent, oh, I don't know, palish red spots as well. So if you go to any garden centre in the UK, I think you'll find a selection of, of mangarbis. Certainly my local, I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to advertise this, my local Dobie's garden centre had, what, about ooh, 10 different ones, I suppose. I should warn certainly listeners in the UK, these are not cheap plants. Dobie's charged about 25 quid a go. I don't know whether any other garden centres are any cheaper. I imagine that these plants are all imported from America. That's my take on this. So um, a nursery called Plant Delights Nursery in Rayleigh, uh, North Carolina, is the go-to nursery. So they have been marketing these plants. So American listeners, uh, I, I would like to think that maybe quite a lot of American listeners have already got the Odom Mangarvi in their collection because I wouldn't expect them to be, you know, very widely known across the pond, so to speak. I have a feeling that there are some Dutch nurseries producing mangaves as well. I need to check that out. I haven't, I'm not, I may be speaking completely out of turn here, but I seem to remember that there are some Dutch nurseries producing them too. I'll have to look into that and I'll I'll add anything I find in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I think they they have a lot of characteristics that are going to make them uh, attractive to buyers. And I mean, I think that price tag you mentioned there is not i mean compared to some of the rarer aroids and things is is not outrageous for a plant of that size and heft really the plants at dobies were really healthy jane um uh let me see now i'm just thinking uh, i mean some of these are like nearly a foot across so uh you know uh 25 quid for a plant that size as you say is is not bad value and you're quite right i mean compared to other uh, sought after plant. I mean, orchids. I mean, the orchid world, you know, people play much, much more for, you know, uh, the rarer orchids, don't they, than that. So that is not, uh, that's not a bad price, actually, for, for, for these kind of plants. Yeah. Going back to your Dutch nursery thing, there's an interesting aspect to this. Um, thinking about horticultural trade, these plants um, have been patented. So I'm not sure about Dutch nurseries here. Uh, I'm in unfamiliar territory, but I'm aware that the American-produced cultivars have been patented. So whether there is some deal with Dutch nurseries, I wouldn't know. But the other aspect of this is, of course, this is a burgeoning market the word is out there that, you know, uh, agaves crossed with Manfredas, given as Mangarvis, is a way to go. So people with significant collections can produce their own hybrids, produce their own cultivars, patent their own crosses uh, and so on. Just to give you a bit of background that we haven't talked about yet, I mean, the guy in America who has done a lot of this hybridising is, is called Hans Hansen. So although uh, Tony Avent at Plant Delights Nursery in North Carolina is, is the organisation that's doing most of the marketing, the hybridization work was actually done by this guy, Hans Hansen. So he needs to be credited with producing 
or certainly all the mangaves that uh, are currently available uh, at Dopey's, for instance. We'll be back with the subject of mangaves shortly, but now it's time for Question of the Week. And this one comes from Aniko from Budapest. Thanks for your question, Aniko. Now, this one concerns an Arika lutescens commonly known as the bamboo palm. And Annika has been worrying about brown spots on the stems, which could be scratched away, but not very easily. And the plant also was suffering from curling, drying new leaves. This got Annika worried, not surprisingly, fearing a pest infestation. Unfortunately, the plant didn't make it but Aniko has been wondering what exactly was going on. Now, I thought I knew the answer to this one, but it's sometimes good to get the backup of a real expert in the area. And so I turned to Dr. Scott Zona. Aren't I lucky to have all these experts on hand? Who is an absolute palm expert? He's been on the show before. He's the co-editor of Palms, the Journal of the International Palm Society. So the spots... These are naturally occurring on the plant rather than pests. Scott describes them as chaffy or scaly hairs, just the normal indumentum of the palm. So what does indumentum mean? It just means a coating of hairs and you can also use it for feathers on a bird. And these occur on the petiole, the leaf stem and the bases of the leaves, but not on the stem. And Scott writes... Young plants offered in nursery are rarely are big enough to have a visible stem. They are all leaf bases, as in the photo, uh, which is the, he's referring to the photo that Aniko sent through. So your listener is finding a lots of, in inverted commas, pests. Palms in a botanical garden are probably big enough to have trunks on which there are no brown hairs. So that's referencing the fact that Aniko went to a botanic garden and saw this same palm without the brown marks so that explains what's going on there so fascinating and so great to get that expert advice so if your areca lutescence has got these brown marks don't panic it's perfectly normal i suspect in the case of this listener's palm that probably conditions weren't quite right and that explains the curling and drying rather than the brown marks being responsible because as we've just heard they're totally normal if you do want some palm growing advice do go back and listen to the palm episode with dr scott zona for loads of useful information as i always say whenever you have a plant that's got curling leaves that's usually a sign that something's going on at root level with moisture whether the plant's completely waterlogged or more often than not with with this particular symptom the plant isn't getting enough water and may also be experiencing some dry air into the bargain. So do give the bamboo palm another go, Aniko, if you dare. (laughs) But don't worry about those brown spots. They're totally normal. So I hope we can reassure you on that. And I know I say this basically every week, but I'm going to say it again. A hand lens would be really useful in this circumstance because this is how you could look really closely at those brown marks. And under a hand lens, you would see that they are just clumps of hairs rather than anything threatening in the way of pests. So, yeah, invest in a hand lens, people. 
<laughs> oh, I feel like a broken record. But there we go. I hope that helps, Aniko. And thanks so much for your question. And I hope that helps to build your confidence with plants. If you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop me a line on theledgepodcast at gmail.com. And if you can leave lots of info, that really helps me to find an answer to your question. One of the things I like about these mangaves is they seem to have a good line in names so I was looking on the uh, the website madaboutmangalve.com and looking at some of these, these names. I like the sound of bad hair day. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at this plant and thinking that looks like a very tidy bad hair day to me. It's got these sort of thinnish strapping, strappy leaves. But I also like uh, the, there's a wavy one called catch a wave and blazing saddles, which you've already mentioned, which is a great name. So there's <laughs> you can have some fun with the names as well. Just to wind back, something I forgot to mention right at the beginning was um, I have a, a, a gorgeous plant, which isn't actually a mangove, it's a manfreda. Uh, and uh, this is called chocolate chips. So I've uh, sent you a photo for the programme notes. And this this is a true manfreda, but it's a gorgeous cultivar. And it has thin, crinkly leaves with dark chocolate coloured spots hence its name and unlike quite a few of the manfredas as i say this is uh this this keeps its leaves throughout the winter some of these plants though if the temperatures get really low will shed their leaves so that's something to be wary about the these plants are not really hardy so in, certainly in the UK, you can't grow these in a garden. You can put them on the patio during the spring and summer, but bring them indoors to a conservatory or whatever. So that's an important cultivation tip. These plants are frost sensitive. They will not survive outdoors, certainly in the UK. If you live in fabulous places like California, you don't have these problems. But I'm afraid in Scotland, there's no way I can maintain any of these plants outdoors. So if you do bring them indoors, presumably you don't want to bring them into a 20 degree centigrade room. You want to give them a still give them a cool uh, light spot indoors during the winter. Now, agaves are very forgiving. So let's just consider the group as a whole. So all these plants are agaves, but mangaves are part of that. They're all very forgiving. Well, virtually all of them. There's one or two that are a bit tricky, but generally most of them are, are quite easy to grow. And, you know, whatever conditions you throw at them, they will thrive usually, apart from the important thing is they're frost sensitive. That's the only thing, right? If you want to give them warm conditions, you can do. So uh, when I was employed by the Open University and they paid my heating bill, I used to have agaves, mangaves included, in a greenhouse. The winter temperature never dropped below 15 degrees. And I used to water my agaves and mangaves right throughout the year. And they grow in the winter, given enough light. Now in Scotland, when I'm paying my own heating bills and we're in an energy crisis, so I'm dropping temperatures... If these plants can be maintained at 10, 12 degrees, which is what my conservatory is at, I give these plants some water during the winter, not as much, obviously, as during the summer. So, yeah, um, 
If you want to keep them in a heated room at 20 degrees, that's fine. So long as they get plenty of light, they need light as well as warmth. Um, So, yeah, if they're kept at higher temperatures, you can water them. But they will survive frost-free and no water. So they are very forgiving plants, actually, in terms of growth requirements. Yeah, I keep my agaves in the greenhouse over the winter. And I think I had one that I nearly lost over the winter for reasons I can't explain. It just seemed for some reason, perhaps there was more moisture in the substrate than the others, which I'd stopped watering in sort of end of September. Uh, but it's, it is actually, has actually recovered. But the rest of them seem to be fine. Obviously, if we get a really cold winter, I may be in trouble and I may be sort of dragging things into the house. But generally speaking, those agaves tend to be fine. And it's good to hear that the mangaves are similarly amenable. I guess the key here, we've talked about light, loads of light, but also presumably you just need that nice free draining substrate uh, to make sure that they don't hold on to too much water around the roots. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, they're quite forgiving in terms of a compost. But yeah, I I have uh, a mixture that's three parts John Innes to one part grit. That's my kind of standard succulent compost. So yeah, uh, reasonably well drained. Absolutely. Um, anything bought in a garden centre is probably grit free. So a free draining compost is fairly important. So if you buy a plant from a garden centre, repot it fairly quickly and uh, use a compost that's got some some drainage material and it grits the best. But you can even use some cat litter as well. I use that sometimes for large plants because it reduces the, the weight of it. We need to talk about propagation. These plants have plant breeders' rights operating over them. Does that restrict what we are doing in terms of propagation? I guess we can propagate them but not sell them. Is that the rule? Uh, Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, something like matcha mocha forms clumps quite quickly, so they're easily propagated. Yeah, so we shouldn't actually be selling these um, to to make a profit because they, they are covered by patent rights, that's for sure. Not all of them pop. Certainly Bloodspot, which is the only one I've flowered so far, that didn't pop at all. So being monocarpic, it flowered once and dies. It has been recorded that sometimes it does pop. So this is a bit random, you know. Sometimes you're lucky and a plant will pop and sometimes it doesn't. Some agaves will produce pups or bulbils, as they're called, on their flower spikes. I haven't encountered any reports of mangarvis doing that yet, but some of them might. Depends on which agave parent has been used. So there are two ways these named uh, mangarvis can be propagated. So if they produce pups, that's easy to do. Or you might just be lucky you've got one that does produce pups, uh, bulbils on the flower spike. But uh, I've as yet had no experience of my plants doing either. My agave collection as yet doesn't have any mangaves in it. Would you recommend that that blood spot would be a good place to start for my mangave collection? Absolutely. That blood spot is one of the earliest ones and it's uh, it is one of the most attractive. Yeah, but they're all they're all pretty cool plants. Uh, Silver fox has such a distinctive colouring that that's one to, anything that takes your fancy really. Uh, I mean most of them have spotted leaves which does make them quite distinct compared to the true agaves so 
just buy anything that takes your fancy, really. And they are relatively trouble-free. They do just need a little bit of, bit more space than your average houseplant. But, you know, quite a lot of us have got houseplants that are quite tall and don't sit on windowsills. So long as they're close to a source of, you know, natural light, conservatories are best. But, you know, other, other light spots near a window are good as well. Well, as you say, the energy crisis is probably making us all look at our electricity bills. So any plants that can survive 10 or 12 degrees centigrade are probably quite welcome for those of us who are looking at the state of our electricity and gas bills for this winter. Well, it's delightful to speak to you as ever, Dr. Walker. And uh, I'm really glad that we've had this chat about mangaves. And as usual, I've ended the episode with a big list of plants that I now want to buy. So <laughs> thank you, but I curse you for your excitement about mangaves because now I'm going to be going into the garden centre and coming back with a big bootload of uh, of plants, I suspect. But uh, at, least, at least they're fairly low maintenance, that's for sure. Christmas is coming, Jane. You know, ask your better half. <laughs> well, I think, he, yeah, he's very tolerant, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's hard to sneak them in the house when they're uh, they're big and spiky. That's the only trouble. <laughs> Thanks so much, Colin. You're welcome. check the show notes for more information on mangaves and links to other episodes in which dr colin walker has appeared and if you're a legend or a super fan patron on patreon then shortly there will be an extra leaf episode featuring a more in-depth chat about intergeneric hybrids and the history of succulents and all sorts being put out for you to enjoy for now though that is it from on the ledge i will be back next friday with more planty chat thanks for joining me bye you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku 
and Namaste by Jason Shaw. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.